the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Thank you for coming to listen to us on the road with Jesus. I'm your host, Rhody Fisher. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being here today. We thank you for blessing all of us today. Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And today, Lord, we ask that we give, we're going to give our hearts to you afresh and anew. Be with us, Lord, with every word that we speak. Be with Sean and Guy in the booth. Help them with all the things they need to do. And also, Lord, um, be with my guest, Stephen, as well as myself. Lord, give us the words to speak to glorify you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're in Psalm 13. We're moving right along here. Um, this is David again. He is running from Saul still. Um, this went over a period of years. So here he is. Probably in one of those caves. I remember when Mark and I, on one of our trips to Israel, we got to see possibly some of the caves that uh, David might have used to hide from Saul. And in this particular chapter, he's really spent. He's exhausted, not just physically in his body, but mentally. He's out of breath. He's tired. He's worn. He, his heart is heavy, and his mind is just full, and he's just saying to the Lord, uh, and he starts out really on a downer, how long wilt thou forget me? Lord, we f- pray that you give us understanding of your word. How long, God, wilt thou forget me, O, o Lord, forever? How long will thy hide thy face from me? You know, I know that all of us at one point or another have had moments that we felt like God was not hearing us. Or maybe God had not been around. Like, he sees us all the time. He's everywhere. But I'm sure we've all felt like he skipped over us. He forgot about us. We've been praying about this hurt for a long time. I know that there are people that are sick and are praying. And they're thinking, God, did you forget me? I'm over here. I have a friend Hope I don't cry. She's been praying about something for 18 years, every day. Um, A promise was made to her. She knows that God has this for her. And she's been waiting patiently. And I can hear her saying this, and sometimes myself, how long will thou forget me? I'm jumping up and down over here. God, did you forget me? Um, Oh, Lord, forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? I, I often wonder whether... Um, people don't just don't hang in there long enough and then walk away, or th- maybe have never made a commitment to God, but they've had so many bad things, 
and think they can't they can't go there because there's no answer there. But he's saying, how long? And then he says in verse 2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Saul's been chasing me for a long time, Lord. How long is this going to go on? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Like, maybe I'll just die here. Maybe you don't hear me and I'm just going to take my last breath. Well, he says here in verse 4, Least my enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when they when I am moved. You know, people that see us in trouble, in in a hurting place, and especially our enemies, they might think, oh gosh, look at Rhodey. Yeah, she's suffering now. Well, we've all kind of been there. But what I love about this psalm is that David turns it around. He's talking to God through this whole thing. And he's being honest with him. How long are you going to forget me? See, Saul's been chasing me. How long? But he's talking to the right person. And he says here, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. You know, I think about this line and I think about how Jesus says to us, do this in remembrance of me when we take communion. And what about that remembrance? It's the price he paid for our salvation. He paid a price for us that we can be saved today. And he wants us to take communion in remembrance of him, reminding us about our salvation. And here he's saying, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. So now he's remembering God has saved me. He saved me once before. He's bound to do it again. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountiful with me bountifully with me. And that's, you know, I hate to say this, but that's where I am today. I'm thinking God has blessed me, pressed down, shaken together, and runneth over. I'm in a time of my life where I can say he's dealt with me bountifully, and I can praise him. But he is still in this dark place, David is. But he's remembering, I will rejoice because of you, God because of the salvation that you have given me, I can remember the times that were bountiful. And I will say, because he had dealt with me bountifully. He ends it on a really high note. And, you know, when we're deep and dark into this place that feels like there's no return, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, we need to remind ourselves about the price that Jesus paid on the cross for us so that we can share in the salvation of him. He was the only living lamb of God that could be sacrificed for the whole world's sin. Okay. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us. And Lord, I pray that you would touch the heart of the lost in Jesus' name. Okay, folks, I do want to introduce my um, guest today. I believe we met him, you know, in the year 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. So we've known him a long time. Um, I remember him as a youngster, not married yet. Now he's married with children, with grown children almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, his his mom shared her testimony with us last week. That's Jessica, and if you've missed it, 
go back to last week Wednesday Wednesday's show, uh, and you can hear her testimony as well. Welcome, Stephen Cherholmi. Did I pronounce that you right? You said it Cherholmi. exactly right. <laughs> okay. Thank you for coming. It's so good to see you. Thank you for having me. Thank and you. I think you know on my Facebook, um, my personal Facebook page today. I saw you and your mother, myself, and some of our Jew- um, some of our friends from Turkey, originally from Korea, at our house having lunch before we went out to share Christ with right. the Muslims. Yes, and that was five years ago. Can you believe it? That's amazing. Yes. Okay. So welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Um, so that our guests will get to know you, I really would like for you to share. A little bit about your background, your childhood. Did you grow sure. up in a Christian home? So, Yes, yeah, so thank you for having me. And um, yeah, a little bit about myself. So um, I grew up as an only child. Um, you know, my dad was originally an immigrant from Hungary. Oh, yeah. Um, he came to the United States in 1956, I believe it was, and uh, met my mom. My mom is originally from Mexico, uh, my dad from Hungary, and they, they married and uh, so I was born in 1976, and I was an only child. Um, had a good had a good home, you know. Loved by both my parents. My dad worked a full time job. So did my mom. And uh, went to private school growing up, you know, going to private Christian school in West Covina, and uh, was a Lutheran school. So you know, I got I got a Christian education. My dad and mom, both of them, you know, we went to church regularly on Sundays. So kind of that. That religious home, you mm-hmm. know, I grew up uh, praying the Lord's Prayer at night. You know, my mom originally was a Roman Catholic, but of course, being married to my dad, a Lutheran, we kind of, you know, kind of got absorbed into, you know, following Lutheranism. And so... They're, they're kind of similar. So Similar you know, in some ways, yes, yeah. yes. Luther came out of, I think, the Catholic right. background. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, so I was, I grew up that way, you know, I got confirmed and I was, you know... Uh, an altar boy. And so I remember doing that, getting confirmation. And, and uh, so I got my Christian, you know, teaching, you know, through my school and just grew up that way. Um, of course, at the same time, there was a lot of turmoil in my home. Um, my parents, I remember, would, would fight and argue. And, and, and so it was hard at, at the same time growing up as, as a young boy. And it came. Can, can I stop you just for one little second? Yes. Did you guys pray together as a family? Did you bless your food at night? Did you did your mom come into your bedroom or your dad and say the Lord's Prayer with you? Was that a family kind of a thing, or did you get most of it from school? So mostly, uh, we would pray at our meal, but at night, my mom would be the one that would come and pray with me at night mm-hmm. before bed. But mostly at school, and so so there was turmoil in the home. Right. Right. So we grew up looking from the outside, looking as a quote-unquote Christian family, but um, there was not that, we were not born again. We were not, we were not saved. Right. And so we only knew Christ, you know, um, externally, you know, outwardly, you know. And so we went to church on Christmas, went to church in Easter, and we would go to church on Sunday. And I remember, you know, my dad would give his offering, you know, it was always the same amount he would give. And I saw, I saw all of those things, but I also knew as a child that my parents didn't really have a walk with God after, of course, realizing this after I got saved. Right. And so I grew up, my parents got divorced when I was young. I believe I was around eight or nine years old or so. And so um, 
fast forward, I, you know, I went to high school and so I, I did the whole thing. You know, I would spend every two weeks with my dad and then living mostly with my mom. My dad loved me. He took me places. He spent time with me. He helped me with my homework. So that was great. Yeah, you I, had a really good relationship I with did. him. I did. I did. So you have fond memories of him. I had very good memories. Okay, so that's good. Yes. And um, I'm thinking, I don't know, so forgive me if I'm wrong, yeah. but um, my previous husband was an only child, and he was spoiled, rotten. I mean, he could do things at home that... No, nobody else could get away with, and not in my family anyway. But so, were you? Um, was there a little bit of that going on in your family? I'm sure. I'm sure I was. Okay. <laughs> I remember growing up with my cousins, and they would say, "Stevie, you're spoiled." <laughs> <laughs> so they're probably laughing, laughing right now. Okay. Um, but absolutely, you know, I didn't have any brothers or sisters, so you know, I. You had two loving was, parents, that but loved I had you. loving parents. That's great. <clears throat> you know, that's really important because. So many people don't know what a loving parent is, or they might have one parent that's loving and the other one is just mean. Yeah. Um, but to have two loving parents yes. is so wonderful. Is. I can say that for, to my, for myself, but there are a lot of people today that are, you know, standing on the edge today right. because they, they have not experienced a loving home or they got out and their parents are good to them now. But their memories of before was terrible. Right. So you had loving parents. Yes. That's yeah. great. Yeah, my dad took me camping, uh, took us places. We saw sights and places, you know, uh, you know, did all sorts of things together as a family. But at the same time, you can see as a child living in the home, the turmoil, you would hear the arguments and you would see that there was, there was something missing. You know, mm-hmm. And it was Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really a walk with Jesus. And so my parents divorced. Um, they lived close nearby each other, you know, within half an hour. And so I visited with my dad. We went, I continued going to a Christian uh, school, graduated from, you know, junior high, and then went to a Christian high school wow. for two years. Um, and it was my freshman year of high school. And so, you know, growing up in, a, like I said, a quote-unquote nominal Christian home, I thought I was a Christian until I came to know Christ and realized mm-hmm. I wasn't a Christian. Yeah. I wasn't saved. And so I was living for myself. You know, mm-hmm. I, I did the things that typical boys do. You know, I wanted to be with my friends. You know, I, I you know, we, we messed around and, and did all sorts of things. And I lived for myself, you know. But it wasn't until after the divorce and after there was so much, there was a pain, there was a brokenness. And I, you know, I truly look back and I see that's what God needed to do. And many times when God saves somebody, he needs to break them in order to bring them to that place of desperation. Mm-hmm. So that you realize that you need Christ. And that's where I was. And so it was, I was 14. It was January of 91. And um, so we had been invited by some friends. And I know my mom shared that. We had been invited by some friends of hers to go to Calvary Chapel. Uh, so we first were introduced to Calvary Chapel Golden Springs with Pastor Wal Reese. Mm-hmm. We were living in, in West Covina at that time. And then we had moved to Ontario and we continued going to Golden Springs at that time, Calvary Chapel, West Covina. But then a friend of my mom's invited her to go to Calvary Chapel, Ontario, which was closer. We were living in Ontario. Mm-hmm. And so we said, okay, and we went. Um, so when do you accept the Lord? Do you accept the Lord at Raul Reese's church then? At Ontario. Uh, oh, in Ontario, not right. the one in so, West Covina? So a, no. So I'm going to okay. – yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, so, so we were living in Ontario. So first we went to Golden Springs, and then we went to Calvary Chapel, Ontario, which is now Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. Um, 
so it was there in Calvary Chapel, Ontario. You know, I remember um, it was very vivid. It was January 17th, 1991. It was the day we, the United States declared war on Iraq. Wow. It was a Wednesday night. Boy, you're getting really specific. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and a lot of people, there are many people that have their days. You know, I'm one of them. I remember the day. Um, and many don't, that yeah. they just came to Christ, you know, however that happened. Yeah. Um, for me, it was that way. And uh, I remember hearing the Word of God. The Word of God was preached, and it was convicting to me. And I realized if I die today, I will not go to heaven. And so I remember walking up to the front as the pastor, our pastor David, gave the message. And That's played David that Rosales. David Rosales, Pastor okay. David Rosales, gave the message. And I went forward, and I remember just crying and crying and just tears flowing down. And I just remember God just meeting me in just such an amazing way. And I remember going, they had a follow-up, and you would go to the back to another room, and somebody would share with you about the commitment you just made. And I just remember going, this is the greatest day of my life. Jesus has come into my heart, and he's forgiven me of all my sins. Mm -hmm. And I am a new man. I am a new person. Wow. So I was 14 years old. And did your mom accept the Lord at that time, or was that My a mom, d- different day? It was six months earlier. Six months earlier. So yes. she's still dragging you to church. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I didn't want to go to church. Yeah. Many times I didn't want to, but then I did, you know, and sat. And uh, and so that's that's basically it. From 1991, I came to know Christ, and I've been a part of the same church since we we, we went in 1990. And I came to Christ in January of 91, and we've been a part of that same church until now. So you're 14 years old, um, maybe a little young to be getting into ministry, but do you feel a tug on your heart that the Lord wants to do something special with you, or do you, do you have a desire to maybe share Christ with your f- friends who you used to run around with? Or um, Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I got involved right away with the youth group at that time. I was a freshman. Um, so it was the middle of my freshman year in high school. And uh, right away, you know, I got involved with the youth group. So we had a great high school leader um, at that time, and uh, Steve Solomon. And we got to, he discipled us, you know, as the guys, um, the girls got discipled by one of the women leaders. And I just remember him teaching me how to pray, how to study the Word of God, uh, uh, having a love for the Word of God. We would yeah. get together Tuesday nights at his apartment for a guy, young guys, young men, guys study, and we would go through the Word of God. I remember getting and who up. Who was this? His name was Steve Solomon, and he was the the youth. He pastor? was the youth leader. Oh yeah. wow, great! Yeah, super. And he took me under his wings, and I remember him, you know, teaching us as young high schoolers the importance of sharing our faith. And so I remember him taking us to the Montclair Mall at that time. It was called the Montclair Plaza, and he said. You're going to come with me, and you're just going to stay, and you're going to just watch me. You don't have to say anything, but I want you just to watch. Wow. Yeah. That is good training. Yeah. He's going to share Christ, and he wants you to be observant, observant. to what he's doing. Just observe. I am totally impressed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kudos to him. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. And so we went, and, and uh, you know, a couple of times we did that, and I just got to see how you share Christ with someone. Now, of course, this is a stranger, you know, yeah. walking up to them, so that's a different uh, thing. Um, so that was the beginning of that training mm-hmm. and just knowing the word of God, studying the word of God, uh, verse by verse. And that's one of the things that, you know, under my pastor, David Rosales, that studying the word of God, verse by verse, you begin to know what God's word says and what is his heart. 
And I began to see that the Great Commission came through Christ, but it's through the entire Scripture. Mm-hmm. God from Genesis to Revelation is the seeking God. He's the God who seeks. You know, right there in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't Adam coming looking looking for God. It was God looking for Adam and came and said, where are you? Where are you? Adam? And he was the seeking God. Yeah. And so... Uh, and, and honestly, when you think about that, he knew exactly where Adam was. Yeah. But he wanted to, you know, have us jump up and down and say, here I am, God. Right, I'm right. over here. He wanted that <laughs> Got admission. my hand raised. Exactly. Okay, go ahead. And so I was in high school, and I remember just being on fire for the Lord. Um, so freshman, sophomore year... My parents took me out of uh, the Christian school after my sophomore year, and so I continued my junior and senior year at a public public school at Montclair High School. Really? Yes. And uh, so I had been growing in the Word of God, and it was it was awesome. I remember those years as being years where I got to share my faith on campus, and so you know I began to invite friends, gang members. I used to. Invite them, and I pick them up in my station wagon. I had a 1983 Ford Escort. Wow! And I would take them to church, you know, Wednesday nights. And uh, I just remember wanting to share my faith with them. And so, you know, I had so many opportunities. God opened doors. You know, sharing. high schools are awesome, especially for Christians that know the Word of God and are walking with the Lord. It's a great mission field. Yeah. You know, and I always encourage high schoolers, you know, be filled with the Lord and get to know Him and love Him and, and share your faith. Mm-hmm. Don't be ashamed, but share your faith and God will use you, you know. And so yeah. it began there where on my high school campus, there was a young man from Pakistan. And really? that's where it started to begin. And there was this high schooler who I began to, to discuss things with and discuss religion. And he began to tell me he's a Muslim. And I had no knowledge of Islam and what Muslims believe at all. And so it became, a, it became a challenge to me, you know, as well as I had a friend who was a Jehovah's Witness. And so he used to always witness to me. Well, you know, I just want to insert this. So many of our, of our Christian children have so much fun at church, have so much fun at, um, at their church functions, that there's, there's so much fun going on. I hate to say this, but they're not getting deep into the Word of God. And so as they grow, it's people like, you know, the Muslims or you said Jehovah Witnesses that will witness to our kids and lead them into a different direction because they're not, you know, solid in the word. They're not walking with Jesus. Their walk is superficial, possibly a nominal Christian or someone like yourself before you got saved. So, yeah, it's um, and it's great that you got to witness to them. Yeah. Okay, so carry on. And and so, you know, one of the things I truly believe is that it is so important, and this is what I share with my kids now, because um, I'm married, of course, now I'm jumping forward, but I'm married to my beautiful wife, Rosalie. Um, it's been 18 years, and we have a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Wow, all double-digit numbers. Yeah, <laughs> and so the thing that I share with them is you have to have your own walk with God. Yeah. You cannot be walking off of your parents' faith. You have to have, if you don't have your own walk with God and your own personal experience, your own conviction, your own confidence in the Word of God, I can't have the confidence for you. You have to have it yourself because if a high schooler 
if a young person truly has that confidence that the Word of God is the Word of God, then they will be on fire. They, without me telling them, they're going to share and it's going to overflow. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what we need, you know. And so it is important. And I know that we, have, we do have training in our high school ministry and in the church, and it's important to be trained in that way how to share your faith. Mm-hmm. And so it started there, and I began to be able to share my faith there. And little by little, I got involved with some ministries, so I began to be a part of the missions ministry at that time. Um, I was, you know, about 16, 17 years old, and we, they, we had a missions ministry. I, I began to be involved with a door-to-door ministry, so we went door-to-door and shared the gospel. And then we had a street witnessing ministry. I went Friday nights with them. And so being able to go out to Chino, uh, the malls, Hollywood, Pasadena, things like this, those are really great training grounds, you know. And, and one of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart years later, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like three, four years ago now, is the Lord said in my heart, he said to me, you want your children to learn how to share their faith. Well, why don't you teach them? And the Lord reminded me of what my youth pastor did with me. And so I said, you know what, kids, we're going to go out to uh, the shops in Chino Hills, and I want you just to watch me. So I took my three kids with me. <laughs> And we, cool we shared, we shared Christ. And, you know, even to this day, they say, they say, dad, we, we need to do that again, you know? And so it, it stirs my heart that we as parents, I think we are responsible yeah. as mothers and fathers. The primary responsibility is not the church, it's the parents. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, a responsibility to train my children to pray, to know God's word and to also share their faith, you know? And so I think it's a challenge. It definitely is a challenge to me. And I think it's a challenge to all of us, you know? Good word there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, we Americans are so busy. Our lifestyles are hugely busy. We don't even have time for ourselves, let That's alone um, really, really training our children in the things of the Lord. You know, that scripture that says, train up the child in the way they should go. And right. They will never depart from him. Okay, so here you are, 16 years old. You're, um, I know... Because I know you and your mom, that both of you were sent through David Rosales' church to go to Morocco. But when do you feel the tug on your heart that says, you're going to be in this ministry, we're going to send you all the way to Morocco? I mean, Morocco is not around the corner. It's not like going to, say, maybe Santa Ana or something. We're talking a whole new language, a whole new style of food, culture, a whole new religion. So how old were you when you feel the Lord saying to maybe you and your mom, because you both went together. Right. I think you went first, didn't you? Right, yes. Okay, so when do you feel that call? So um, so I was about 16 years old, and all of these things are happening, as I shared, the different things that God's doing in my life, ministries I, I started to be involved in. And I was introduced by also my youth pastor to the music of Keith Green. Oh, yeah. Well, Keith Green. <laughs> you sold me there. Keith Green. And so I began to just listen to his music and just absorb all of it. The lyrics, I mean, even to this day, you know, I have so many songs memorized in my mind. Um, But somebody gave me the pamphlet that he wrote called Why You Should Go to the Mission Field. And I read that pamphlet. And basically what he does is he shares like 20 different excuses that people have why they can't or shouldn't go to the mission field. And so I sat there in my room and I read that whole thing. And after I finished it, I said, I told my mom, I said, I need to go to the mission field. I I said, I don't see a reason why I shouldn't. And God just began to stir. He was stirring my heart. He was stirring my heart. And so I just began to pray. At that point, I said, Lord, 
I want to serve you, Lord. I want to serve you. But where do you want me to go, Lord? So you have to just show me, you know, because it's not, it's not just like I'm going to pick a place on the map. So I said, Lord, begin to show me. So I began to think that God's calling me. I remember in my mind, you know, because you think different things. Lord, where are you calling me? And I thought, okay, maybe, you know, Tanzania. I remember for some reason that country. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, so I began to just pray. So I was a part of the missions ministry at our church where we went through a book together called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And uh, we had some missionaries from OM, Operation Mobilization. It's a mission organization. Mm-hmm. I know. And we invited them to our church. And we were there in the banquet hall of our church, and we had them come out, and they spoke. And they were dressed in their Moroccan outfits, you know, traditional. And they stood on the stage, and they began to share about their experiences on the mission field and what God's doing in Morocco and in North Africa, which is Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, and Egypt. So I began to hear these missionaries of what God did, what's going on, what kind of things are happening in North Africa. And it just struck me. It's just like God began to tug on my heart. He said, this is where I'm calling you. So that, along with the guy from high school that I was sharing, a Muslim. So I began to have connection with him I was sharing. And then I read Keith Green's pamphlet. And then now this happened. And so God began, he was building. And he was working in my heart. And he began to tug on my heart. So in, uh, I graduated from high school in 94. So I took two short-term mission trips with OM. Um, oh, so do you raise the fund your funds yourself or do you have to? Okay. I did, yes, I did. So um, I raised the funds and the Lord provided um, people from our fellowship, my family. You know, so I went in 1994, right after high school. They actually require that you're 18. So I turned 18 in July. So the I think the following month was when the trip was. So I went in 1994 and in 1995. Both wow. on short-term trips to Morocco. And what is, what is short-term? Is it like two a weeks. couple weeks? Yeah, two okay, weeks. Great. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, you know, we meet in Spain, and there you have people from Spain, Australia, Russia, Brazil, all these young Christians coming to do these short-term trips. Really? So you meet the people from all over the world, and, and then they divide you up into your teams, and you're with a leader, and then you go into Morocco. Wow. And exciting. so both yeah, so both times we actually went to the north of Morocco. But the funny thing is, I'm I'm jumping, but we ended up living in the south of Morocco. When you went to live there. When we there. went to live okay, there permanently. Great. Yeah. But so you minister in the north side of Morocco and so tell me does anybody accept the Lord or are we just planting seeds and watering? Yeah, so let me let me share with you uh, briefly uh, what led up to that. So I took those trips to Morocco, but in the middle of those two years, between 1994-1995, um, I said, Lord, where do you want me to go? And the Lord gave me two key verses, and that's what I want to share with you. These are the two verses that God gave me that was showing me that I'm calling you to Morocco. So it was first one is Romans 15, 20 through 21, and it says this, Paul says, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. Wow. So I began to just pray, you know, Lord, what country, where do you want me to go? Well, I had learned about the 1040 window. Yeah. And the 1040 window is this portion of the globe where between the 10 latitude and the 40 latitude, I believe, Mm -hmm. these nations are the most unreached and the most unevangelized people of the entire world. 
And so I began to say, Lord, do you want me to go into the 1040 window? Do you want me to go there? And the Lord gave me this verse. He spoke to me through this verse. As Paul said, his heart was, I want to go where Christ has not been named. Yeah. And I, were, I want to go where there is no church. Mm-hmm. And so I began to say, Lord, take me where there are no churches. Lord, I don't want to go where there are many missionaries. I want to go where there are least missionaries. Mm-hmm. And so that was my prayer. Well, as I began to pray, and I was just studying the word and just, you know, in his word and in, de- in regular devotions, I said, Lord, but where, what, what, what portion of Morocco do you want me? Okay, if you want me to go into Morocco, Lord, but where? North, south, east, west? I have no idea. So I began to just pray. Well, one day in my devotions, I was going through the book of Acts, and I came to this chapter, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And it said, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Oh, wow. So the south of Morocco. So the south of Morocco. So let me explain something to you. So I went twice on my own with OM to the north of Morocco. My mom also went twice with Operation Mobilization separately from me, but she went to the mid uh, middle portion of Morocco, but also went to the south. And she went to this particular city where we lived in Warzazet. And she had shared with me about the city being just beautiful, desert, a lot of youth there. And so I knew about that, but I began to pray, Lord, where do you want me to go? And this is when the Lord just spoke to me here. You know, now he, I know he doesn't do this always to everyone, but God was speaking to me and I felt like this was the direction God wanted us to go, to go to that city in the desert, which is in the South. Awesome. And so the Lord began to burden my heart and at the same time, you know, burdening my mom's heart. And she felt that, you know, she wanted to go also to the mission field. So I'm obviously skipping a lot of information, but for time's sake. So we began to share with our pastor, and something I want to share with with everyone out there is that, you know, sometimes you feel called and you want to go, but we are under leadership, Mm -hmm. and we are under our pastor, or at least we should be under authority. And at one point, my pastor was not ready to send us off. And so I remember reading in the scripture where he says, be submissive to your authorities. Mm -hmm. And so we began to pray, and we said, Lord, when it's your time, Lord, touch his heart that he may have that peace and he may know from the Lord that it's time to send us. And so a year passed by and God was just preparing me, preparing my mom. And it was a year later where God just spoke to my pastor, Pastor David Rosales, and he said, I'm ready to send you. And I'm, I want to bring you up before the church and lay hands on you and send you out as missionaries from our church. And so that was in April of 99. God sent uh, myself and my mom out. And we went to Morocco. And uh, we got there. We were not with an organization, so we were sent out by our church. Um, and we got there. And now, I mind you, I had never been to the city ever. My right. mom had Your been mom there, but had... I had never been there. Yeah. So I went to a city that I had never been to, and that was where we were going to live. So we got there. We get to a hotel. We don't speak the language. We don't really know anybody. My mom had met some missionaries prior that lived there. And so we were going to try to find them, but we had no information, no contact, nothing. So we began to, you know, we were in the hotel. We went to eat at this local restaurant, and we began to meet some of the Moroccans there, and we began to speak to them, you know, in some English, some Spanish and all. And we asked them to just kind of show us around. So they showed us the city. We took prayer walks. And as me and my mom were taking a prayer walk one particular evening, we were there not, all, not, not five days And as we were praying, I overheard a group of men talking and they were speaking in English. I'm sorry, 
No, I take that back. They, I, th- I saw a group of men talking, and I went and I approached them, and I said, excuse me, do any of you speak English? And one of the men said, yes, I do. He says, in fact, I'm an English teacher. And I said, oh, that's great, great to meet you. And he introduced himself. I said, you know, we're looking for so-and-so. She's a midwife here. She was a missionary from England that my mom knew of. So he said, oh, yes, I know her. I'll take you to her house. Wow. So he takes us to her house. We meet her, and time goes on, and the guy leaves. Well, six months later passes by, and we begin to pray, Lord, what do you want us to do? And the Lord laid on our hearts to teach English, that this was going to be the way because in Morocco, because it's a restricted nation, the only way you can live there and minister and do any sort of work is you have to, um, you have to have some sort of business or project. So they call these nations creative access nations because you have to have a creative way of residing there legally. So we were going to teach English. So a friend that I met, a Moroccan, said, you know, let me take you to a local uh, private school and I'm going to have you, I want you to meet the, 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 the principal because maybe he can help you out to teach English. So we go there. Six months later, it was the same guy that introduced us to the missionary that one evening. Wow. We sit, we're talking and he goes, wait a minute. He says, I remember meeting you. And we begin to laugh. So fast forward, he becomes our partner and we start our language school, which became California Language Center, CLC. Wow. In 2000, we started our language school and we began to teach English to Moroccans, to Muslims. And that was how we resided in Morocco. And so you teach them not just English, but when do you begin to share Christ with them um, and open your home, you know, to share food? Because Muslims are very relational people. They are so welcoming. They want you to come over and have tea with them, come over and break bread with them. And they expect you to be reciprocal. They want to come to your house too. So when does that begin to happen? So that just begins to happen naturally over time. You know, a lot of people ask us, well, how did you learn the language? It was really through submersion, which is one of the best ways. You're in the culture. You're in the country. You really can't speak English, so you're forced to learn Arabic. So Arabic was the language. Um, and at that time, English was, it was not as prevalent as it is now. Now more people know English and speak it. So we had to learn Arabic. So I would go to people's houses. I remember sitting with friends and I would have my notepad and a pen. And what I would do is as I would hear them say a word, I would say like, what is this? Okay, tabla, table. How do you say water? Elma. Okay, so I would write down the way I hear it. I would write elma equals water. Tabla equals table. And I would go on and on and on like that. And so that's how I began to learn Arabic is just writing it down. As I heard it phonetically, mm-hmm. I would write it in with uh, the alphabet. Wow. And, and d- does your mother pick it up the same way? So she begins to pick it up, yeah. Um, uh-huh. And then I pick it up. And, you know, I would say within a year, I could speak pretty fluent. And, you know, you just, you're, you're becoming broken because in that culture, they will show up at your house with, without any notice. Mm. And they expect you to just bring them in and then serve them food. It's just natural. It's part right. of the culture. Yep. In fact, mm-hmm. it's more honorable in the Middle East for them to come to your house without invitation rather than with invitation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. um, so we began to learn all of the cultural things, began, began to learn the language, the people. And they invited us over. They were so hospitable to us. They, they, they had such a love for us and have such an affection. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, 
you know, we rented a home and we lived there for several years until the Lord led my mom to to purchase a property and we and we purchased a home. And so we were there for 13 years. And so over time, we learned the language and little by little, the Lord began to open doors, sharing the gospel. So, you know, we would share at the bank, you would share at the cafe, you would share at the post office, you would share at the local hardware store, you know, where I would go to pick up some bolts or screws. And they always would ask me, you know, I remember my first year, they would ask me, am I a Muslim? Mm -hmm. So I don't, you don't have to pull it out of them. They're asking me, are you a Muslim? And I would say, no, I'm a Christian. They would say, well, why? Mm -hmm. So I would sit there and begin to talk to them and they have all the time in the world. Mm -hmm. And they're asking me and pretty soon you have all these other customers around and they're just sitting there listening to me share Share the the gospel. gospel. (laughs) And it's just like, they're all right there. And then they serve you tea and bread and, you know, almonds and bread and olives and oil. And so they give you food for you to share the gospel, you know, <laughs> and then you have all these people just listening, you know. So the Lord opened, you know, so many doors like that to be able to share. And we got to know people throughout the the, the community, you know, and especially the fact that we were teaching English. Um, it opened many doors uh, through our school because in that society, a teacher is, is very respectable. Mm-hmm. And so um, we met parents, you know, we spoke to the students. We had students of police officers, uh you know, high officials, doctors, lawyers, different people, you know, in that society uh, from the military. You know, I, I was invited by the, the governor of our region to teach his son private English lessons, you know, um, different experiences like that. So um, that's beautiful. Um, is there a maybe one testimony that you could share where someone accepted the Lord and maybe you're in contact with them today, maybe not, but... Um, share that with the with the with the listeners. Yes, I actually have uh, two two stories that Great. I'll share briefly. One story was so we we would walk throughout our city and we would do prayer walks. Mm-hmm. And as we would walk around our city, we knew God. That's where God had us in this city in this desert town where there were just a few missionaries. And by the way, we were probably three families in this entire city of 60, 70,000 people. So you have 70,000 Muslims, and we were three different missionary families ministering to these, you know, people. But God had burdened our heart, and and one of the things that we did is we would do prayer walks. So we would walk around the city, you know, we would get our water bottle, and you know, you put your hat on because the sun was hot, but we would walk, and we would pray, talk mm-hmm. to the Lord, and just say, Lord, break the, the strongholds. Lord, Pour out your spirit. Lord, convict these people. Lord, open their eyes. Set the captives free. And we would sit and we would, you know, read from the scriptures and just walk and walk throughout. And, and that's also a great way to get to know your town mm-hmm. because we didn't have a car for years. So mm-hmm. we would walk everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we would walk down alleys, through neighborhoods, down streets, little narrow alleys. And so I got to know the entire city really mm-hmm. well. So on one particular occasion, we were at a park local park there. And we, me and my mom sat down. This was before I got married. Um, so we went in 99, by the way. And then I got married in 2002 to my wife. And in 2002 is when we came as a couple. So let me make this clear. You don't marry a Moroccan woman. You no. marry a Christian woman from David Rosales's church from who church. you knew before you left. Right. And we met, okay. me and my wife met previously to me going to Morocco. Um, we did worship together um, in the high school worship team. Okay. And so we met at church, yeah, and then in 2002 is when we got married. And then you bring her to Morocco with right, you. Right, right. Okay, so share that, finish the story, and you're in this park. 
Yes. And so we're in this park, and we're, me and my mom are talking in English, and a Moroccan overhears us talking in English. And you have to also remember that there's a lot of tourism that goes on. So there are tourists, French, German, English, throughout Morocco, but we're speaking in English. So this young man approaches us, and he says, I heard you speaking English. Where are you guys from? We said, we're from the United States, from California. And so he begins to say, can I sit down and talk to you? And we said, yeah, sure, sit down. So we began to conversate. And we begin to share with him. And so our friendship begins right there. And he begins to come and visit us at our school. He said, you know, oh, you have a language school. Can I visit you? And I said, sure, you know, come. He says, I want to practice my English. So he came to our school. And little by little, as I began to share with him about the Lord, he was already prepared. And that's the thing. God had already prepared him because he already had many doubts concerning his own religion of Islam. Mm -hmm. He already had doubts and he had in his heart, he really had a a very serious dis dislike for Islam. He despised it. And so there was already cracks in the foundation of his faith. And I just began to just water mm -hmm. the ground. And the Lord used me and used others that had come before us. And he, he received Christ on one occasion. And the interesting thing is that he used to sit at cafes in our town and meet different people. And one occasion he met another guy who also spoke English and he says, you know what? I know somebody that speaks English. And, I know, and, and in his conversation with this other Moroccan, he came to find, find out that that guy also had doubts concerning Islam and didn't want to follow Islam, but he had no one to talk to. So this man who just came to Christ brings him to me. Mm -hmm. And it was like a Nicodemus at the night, in the night. And he brings him to me and he says, I want to introduce you to so-and-so. And would you share with him what you share with me? And so I began to share with him. And he accepts, accepts the Lord too. And so what I really see is that God was shaping them and doing a work already in them. And even Jesus speaks about this to his disciples. He says, I send you to, to labor where into other, others, other person's labors, mm -hmm. you know, and you're just watering the ground, you know. And bringing in the harvest. And bringing in the harvest, you know. Yeah. And I don't know if I can share one quick story. Okay. Do we have time? Yeah. The Lord had also given us the opportunity to go out of our city and talk to people outside in the in the countryside because you have to understand from city to city you had desert and you had regions where there was no villages no towns mm -hmm. and there were these nomadic shepherds and so the lord laid on my heart to share with these nomadic shepherds so i would bring you know some food and some soap and different things that they might need and i used to i would go find them and i also had the the jesus film on dvd so we used to go out and take it, show it on our laptop in the Berber language. And so I found this man and I began to sit with him and I, I, visited, it, I visited him on a few occasions. Mm -hmm. Well, on this one occasion, we sat with him and we spent the night actually with him in the desert. And we showed him the Jesus film. His wife saw it. And in the end of the Jesus film, it gives the whole gospel. And this shepherd, this nomadic shepherd, he also decided to receive Christ. Beautiful. And, and uh, it, was, it was an amazing experience to see him. I have no contact with him because he had no phone, but, you know, we continue to pray for him and lift him up. Yes. Wow, that's so awesome, Stephen. I am going to ask you, uh, well, first of all, I just want to um, wrap it up. You now live here. Yes. You've moved back about five years ago. You do um, street witnessing still today, uh, and you also visit the mosques, if I'm right. correct. And um, 
I thank you so much for your for your heart for the lost. I also wanted to say, make no mistake, that people that Muslims that accept the Lord have to give up so much. You know, we Christians, we be, you know, we become Christians and we live in a Christian country. It's no big deal. Nobody's going to kill us for this. Right. But in a Muslim country, many of them have to walk away from their entire families. Yes. I'm talking about entire families, mother, father, sisters, brothers, sometimes wives. Um, most men don't have to leave their wives because they can ask their wives to accept Jesus. But the other way around, I've known many uh, Muslim women that have had to leave not just their husbands behind, but their children. And some have secretly stayed to minister to the children, and and children have accepted the Lord. Um, There's a death warrant on on your back when you accept Jesus as your Savior in a Muslim country, for the most part. It sounds just so easy that, you know, people have accepted Jesus, but we have to be careful of the carnage that's left behind if we're not putting them in a safe place. Um, moving them to a safe house or sometimes moving them out of the country. And their their sisters and brothers become um, sometimes hurt or killed because they became Christians and left. So that's not what we want to do. I mean, we want to bring the whole family in, and <clears throat> and it's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult ministry, and I thank you for answering the call. Um, so... Anyhow, I'm going to let you know that Stephen's going to play a song for us. He's got his guitar over here. And um, it's one of the songs that he would probably pray or sing, um, play and sing um, at their church services that they would have or their Bible studies that they would have in Morocco. And so he had a um, worship ministry here when he, um, actually when he and his wife were just you know, meeting each other, they were both in ministry together, um, playing music. But I would love to have you sing a song in Arabic and English. And I, if it, if we could do a split screen, um, that would be so great, so that our viewers could, if they speak um, Arabic, they could read it. Or okay, read it, go yes. go ahead and start. And is it God is greater? Yes, What's it's the name of you are great. You are great. Inta adimun. So inta adimun means you are great. You are great. Yes. Yeah, so the the song says. Let me just. I'll just read it. Inta adimun, adimun, adimun. Ya Allah. So you are great, great, great. O God. Adimun fi mahabbatika. You are great in your love. Adimun fi amanatika. You are great in your faithfulness. Adimun fi tahririka. You are great in your power to set free. Adimun aidan fi shifaika. You are great in your healing. Wow, shukran. Yes, shukran. La shukran la wajib. So let's sing. Oh 
Beautiful. Salam alaikum. Salam alaikum. Um, Stephen, I'm going to cut away and ask those that have never accepted Jesus if this has touched your heart, should you be a Muslim and would like to accept Jesus as your Savior or just not following God at all? Maybe you're an atheist or um, haven't even thought about God. Um, I would like for you to invite Jesus as your Savior into your heart, ask Him to forgive your sins and wash you clean. Just follow me with these words. We're going to go a little bit long, maybe a minute or two later. Um, Dear Jesus, come into my heart. I'm a sinner, and I want you to forgive me for all the things that I've done. Thought, wash my heart as white as snow. Be my Lord and Savior. Lead me and guide me in the way I should go. Help me, Lord, to forget the things of the past, the things I used to do that was so um, wrong, and help me to walk on this path with you that's more godly. Forgive me, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help me to find a new church or a church. Help me to read your word every day. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have accepted the Lord and said that prayer, um, please call us at this radio station. Leave your name and number. Um, We would love to help you send you a Bible. Or go on the website, On the Road with Jesus, and request a Bible if you need one or a church. Thank you so much, Stephen. And thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, Oh, gosh, I am so moved by by your testimony in that song. On the Road with Jesus, my name is Rhody Fisher. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. God bless you all. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rhody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus you'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rhody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094 That's 951-817-0094 On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Brody Fisher.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.